not encouraged on alcoholics. Uh, people have been giving me so many instructions that I've forgotten what I was about up here to say <laughs> just about. Uh, but I do want to take just a minute to thank the committee and Liz in particular for having me here. Any chance I get to come up here to Northern Kentucky and the Cincinnati area, I'm always all for it. Uh, you people are just always, I don't know, you're just always so friendly and you make me feel so welcome. And every chance I get uh, to come up this way, I, I always take it. And, and I want to thank Vicki for all the good stuff that my uh, my sobriety date is October 16th of 1989. Um, I'm a member of the uh, Keep It Simple group. Uh, we meet in Louisville uh, out on Frankfort Avenue at the uh, at the Game Street Church on Thursday nights, and uh, I love my home group. And uh, if you're ever in Louisville on Thursday nights. Uh, please come back. Uh, I tell you, it's been a wonderful place for me to be. I was, uh, I was looking for a home group when I went to the Keep It Simple group, and uh, I, I was fairly newly sober. I guess I've been sober a couple of years, and and have uh, been in one home group and was looking for another, and uh, was kind of just roaming around different meetings, uh, looking for that. And I walked into the Keep It Simple group, and I've uh, been there ever since. And uh, if you have a home group, you know, I would just say, you please stay there. I tell you, it's a wonderful thing for me to do is, is to go there and stay there and to have been there some number of years now and watch the group go through the changes and uh, watch it become more cohesive every year and, and see the people come in. And, you know, the good deal is now I've already done all that stuff. You know, I've done the IGR thing and the GSR thing and the treasurer thing and the stuff, you know, all that kind of stuff. So now I get to sit back and tell people, well, here, I think you need to go do that. So it's just wonderful. All you really got to do if you've been there sometimes, just kind of show up and sit around, you know. Everybody comes up and loves on you, but it's great. But I, I really do. Uh, I urge you really to, to, if you have a hundred, please stay there and watch all that happen. It's been a, it's been a wonderful thing to me in the life I, I go in there on Thursday nights. And when, when I don't get a chance to go on Thursday nights, it just kind of throws my week off from an occasional half of the night just out of town or you know, the emergencies come up sometimes, but uh, if, if, if I can be, I'm there, and, and if I'm not, then I'm just kind of a little bit off balance, but to watch that thing happen uh, has been just a wonderful, uh, wonderful experience for me. Uh, my sponsor, a guy who sponsored me, his name is Don M., and uh, I, I have been absolutely blessed uh, with sponsorship. Uh, Don is my second sponsor, my, uh, uh, my original sponsor. I'll probably talk about him quite a bit. I was talking to Don just recently, and I said, Don, you know, I have a tendency, whenever I talk, I said, I've talked so much about Jim. And I said, you know, and, and, and you've just been, you know, so wonderful, and I said, you know, I hardly ever mention you. And he said, you know, Gary, he said, I do the same thing with my first sponsor. He said, I think that that sponsor was just, you know, that was early on, and, and they just meant so much to us. They were such a, a, a big part of, you know, us sobering up and getting this thing and all that. He said, should I do the very same? But Don's been wonderful. Uh, he, he's been a great guy. You know, Don, uh, Don was my attorney, uh, before I got sober. And, uh, you know, he did a real good job with that. So I thought, well, let's see how that's the sponsorship thing. And, uh, but, uh, he, he's done that really well too. Uh, you know, you get, you get talking around at some of these things and, uh, uh, and, and people, uh, 
they, they begin to ask you about, everywhere I go, it seems like people ask me, you know, you're going to tell this story, you're going to tell that story. And I didn't think that would happen here. I thought, you know, I'm going out of town, you know, I won't have all that going on, but, uh, I, it just got every other person I've run into said, yeah, he's going to tell the watch story, you know, tell the watch story. And, uh, and this is, she wants me to, uh, the thing with, uh, Ken Beaton and the rats, and, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to remember that I'll do the best I can. But anyway, I, uh, speaking of the watch story, you see, we have it in my hand. You know, early on, I don't know where, you know, any of you are or will be, you know, at about a year or two sober. But, uh, now I, was about as spiritual as they get. <laughs> I was just so spiritual. I mean, I was just going to roam around the country and, and talk to people and uh, lead them down to the river. You know, World Services was probably going to be calling, uh, rent me a private jet, you know, and just fly me and a few of my closest friends around. And I was just going to go lead people down to the water and they were going to be healed and it was just going to be wonderful, and you know, and, and uh, I got looking around, and you know, it seemed to me like that uh, when I went to these AA meetings, all the guys, uh, and, and I know you all, you know, you probably haven't have met the group here too. It seems like the guys who always gave particularly, you know, those those talks that I just went away feeling so good about, you know, they would always walk up to the podium. And they'd have a wristwatch, and they would take their watch off, and they would lay it out across the podium. My name's so-and-so, and I'm alcoholic. And I thought, well, I guess that's it. You know, you have to have a watch. <laughs> so off I go to buy a watch, and uh, I get out, uh, you know, because I'm going to be a great speaker. And I I, uh, I, I I get out to the store, and I buy, to, to buy this watch, you know, because I'm going to be this great, you know, this spiritual leader. And, uh, I, the guy pulls, he comes out, he has this little case, it's got all these watches in it, and I pick out one that I think I might like, he takes the watch out, and he pulls my wrist, and he starts putting the thing on my wrist, I said, what are you doing? He said, well, you know, I need to try this on, I need to put it around your wrist, and I said, well, no, 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 I, I, I don't really think you need to do that. You know, it reminded me an awful lot of handcuffs and other restraints. <laughs> And so I really, I thought, well, you know, I just really don't know what I'm going to do here. So finally I wound up, and I did wind up to get a pocket watch, and I carried this thing around with me, but I tell you, it hadn't done me a bit of good. Uh, you know, you get up, and you get, and I got up, and I tried to lay the thing on the podium. Well, the podiums are usually flying, and the damn thing goes sliding off. It used to have a chain on it. I had to take it off. It was less to pick up, and... Uh, I, I can't use it a bit to tell him what time it is because I'm really supposed to wear glasses and I'm too vain. And so I never, I have no idea what time it is. The damn thing hadn't done me any good at all. And I don't think that it's made my talk any different one way or the other. And I have come to the conclusion that the only reason that those guys get up and take those watches off is to give the newcomers hope. So if you're here this morning and you don't have a watch, Keep coming back, and you'll get a walk. That's the only thing that's ever done. But I still care because everybody always wants to hear that stupid watch story. So anyway, there, there's the watch story, and it's out of the way. It's but for the grace of a loving God and the healing that I found here in Alcoholics Anonymous that I'm here this morning and that I'm clean and safe. The very first thing I can remember is being afraid. It's like there was nothing, and then I was scared to death. Uh, I just, uh, I don't remember anything other than being afraid. I, uh, I come from, uh, uh, at least originally a, a little part of, of Louisville called Portland, 
And uh, Portland uh, had always did have a reputation as being a rough uh, type of neighborhood. And uh, I never did really know what made it rough. I knew that it had that reputation, I guess, even early on, but I didn't know why it was rough. You know, I didn't know that, uh, you know, two guys standing out in front of the bar beating hell out of one another made it a rough neighborhood. You know, sometimes it would be two women. And, uh, but, you know, I didn't, you know, I really didn't know why. And, uh, and my daddy, you know, God love my daddy. My daddy, you know, was a big old strapping kind of guy and he just loved to drink and he just loved to get this fight. I don't think he really knew anything about it. That's just what he liked to do. He thought that was a good time. And, uh, you know, he was just, you know, like I say, just a big old fellow and always into it. And, and, uh, you know, it was just a sport to him. I, my daddy, I can remember daddy was in his 80s. And uh, occasionally some, a bar owner would, would, would call myself or my brother to come and get my dad. You know, they would say, you know, your dad's down here and, you know, he's been drinking. He's about to get in with somebody. You know, we know the guy's getting old. We're afraid he's going to get hurt. We'll be coming get him. I mean, that's just what dad did all of his life. And dad was a, by God, you will do what I say do kind of guy. Now, mama was there ain't no SOB, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> we have problems in our home. <laughs> and by the time I came along, you know, the war was on and had been for a good long time, and... Uh, you know, uh, it was, uh, you know, at the point in time in their marriage, you know, where, uh, you know, dad would go out to the front door to one corner bar and mama would go out the back door to the other corner bar. Now, on the night whenever mom went on out the back door to the other corner bar, dad would get home early and he'd wait. And mama would come in and he would say, you will by God do. And mama would say, ain't no SOBs, don't tell me what to do. And they'd be on. Well, all that stuff absolutely scared me to death. I was terrified. It was terrified me. They would, you know, the, the fighting would be going on, and uh, it just absolutely scared me to death. I was just in sheer terror of those things. I'm going to need to cry and scream and beg, and I shuddered, and uh, just uh, just absolutely terrified uh, at what was going on in that house. But I do remember, and the reason I talk about that is really not to tell you my family's story. They have now they can tell they can tell their own stories. The reason I tell you that story is because I remember the night it happened to me. And it was just one of those such nights and every day I had gone out the front door and mom had gone out the back door and they had met back at the house in the middle and the end and, and all that fighting was going on and that terror was happening with me. And I was screaming and crying and begging and pleading like I always did. And for whatever reason, I don't know why, I just stopped. And I looked around the house that night. And I looked at my brothers and sisters. And they did not appear to be afraid. It was obvious to me that they were, did not like what was going on in that house, but they didn't appear to be afraid. I looked at my mother, who always had one black eye and pretty generally two. And she did not appear to be afraid. Pissed off. <laughs> but not afraid. And I knew that night that there was something terribly, terribly wrong with me. I believe it was whenever that was the, the very first awareness that I ever had of that hole, uh, that you hear the alcoholics talk about, that deep, dark hole, uh, that nothing, 
absolutely nothing can kill. But I believe that that's the night that that happened to me whenever all that began. And I think it was the beginning of dishonesty. I think it was the beginning of self-seeking for me. Because, you know, I was scared to death and nobody else seemed to be. And I had to do absolutely anything that I could to cover that. uh, Because I knew there was something very, very wrong with me and it didn't seem to be wrong with everybody else. And I would do absolutely anything, anything to keep you from knowing that. If, I, if you knew that, that would make me even more vulnerable, and I couldn't be any more vulnerable because I was scared to death already. And so I believe it was the beginning of the dishonesty and the self-seeking and, and all of those things that, that we hear that is alcoholism uh, for me. And also, you know, I hear people get up here and, and, and they talk in these podiums and it seems like you hear the same story all the time. You know, I was one of those people, you know, who always felt back from, away from, apart from, uh, like I just never really could quite fit in, like I was hanging on the outside of the world looking in. It's like everybody else had the right shit and I couldn't get hold of the right shit. You know, I was, I just think like I could get the part in the show and I would practice my lines and, you know, I would be doing everything just right and come the night of the play, people would walk out and there'd be a whole nother strip going on, nobody handed me nothing. Yeah. And it seems like my whole life uh, really went that way before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous and for a good deal of time after I got here. But anyway, uh, and I was one of those such people, you know, I just felt like, you know, that I didn't even, that I really didn't even fit into that family that, you know, for, I don't, you know, I wasn't even a part of that. Uh, you know, I, I was even different from that. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it was interesting, uh, growing up down in Portland. I mean, there's a lot of things, um, that you just don't learn, uh, down there. And <laughs> you just, uh, there's, there's some things they just don't tell you. I think they kept some things from me. You know, I always was a sissy little kid. And, uh, Uh, you know, and here I was, you know, I was in this, you know, old rough house and family going on. I mean, I've got sisters I wouldn't fight with a gun. <laughs> and then there's me, you know, <laughs> you know, God, there has been a terrible mistake made, you know. What in the world am I doing in this family, in this neighborhood for crying out loud, will you get me out of here? You know, there's something just terribly, terribly wrong here. But, uh, and, uh, and I never knew, uh, they never told me down there, I, you know, I don't know if they just, if they lied to me or if they just didn't know or what, but they never told me that little sister kids weren't supposed to fight. <laughs> I never learned that. They told me, pick up something and knock the hell out of them with it. That's what it and I didn't know, you know, so I'm picking up stuff and knocking little kids upside the head with it. You know, whenever I got older and started meeting other people, you know, and, and, and got out and started learning about these things, and, uh, you know, the, the people that I met seemed to be repulsed with my behavior, you know, and they would tell me, you know, well, Jerry, we don't, we don't fight, we don't do those things, and I thought, you know, well, I can't even do this right to crying out loud. Yeah. But anyway, God had a plan for me. He knew that I was going to need uh, to grow up that way, and, and he had me in exactly the right place at the right time. Um, he knew that I was going to have to grow up with all that stuff just being normal to me, and, and, and swinging clubs, and, and all that kind of shit, because, uh, he knew, excuse me about that, he knew, uh, uh, where I was, uh, where I was going and what I was going to be doing, and I had no idea about where I was going and what I was going to be doing, but, uh, but it was to come. Uh, 
mom and dad uh, uh, finally separated, and we began to move. And, you know, down there in Portland, I was always just that little fairy boy. If anybody ever noticed anything about me that was any different, they certainly never said a word about it. And, uh, you know, you get out and, uh, and and we moved a lot. You know, we would move and dad would come around, and we'd move and dad come around, we'd move and dad come around, we'd move and dad. And so we were just always moving. And, you know, like I say, I was just a little sissy kid anyway. And, you know, you get moving into some neighborhoods and all the little kids got to try out. And, you know, by mom, by, by now mom's drinking and carousing, you know, and I'm out, you know, knocking little people's kids in the head with something. And, uh, you know, it was just chaotic. It was just an absolute mess. And, uh, and, and, but it was normal to me. I mean, that's what they told me to do down there in Portland. I don't you know. I don't know. And, uh, but anyway, so, uh, life was really, was, was really kind of interesting. And, uh, and finally, uh, finally dad, uh, shot a guy and went to prison for a while and we were, uh, we were able to stabilize a little and, uh, <laughs> and be in one place a little bit longer and, uh, sometime for, uh, about, about time for dad to get out of prison, mom decided it might be time to get married. And, uh, so anyway, uh, dad was getting ready to get out of prison, and mom says, you know, well, maybe I need to get married here, you know, if I get married, you know, maybe he'll stay away and leave me alone and that sort of thing, and, and mom loves drunk. Uh, she just loves drunk, and uh, anyway, so she knows, she finds her another drunk, and she knows this drunk, well, this guy, <laughs> this guy is not a Portland drunk, okay? He really isn't, I mean, this guy, I tell you what, uh, he was uh, uh, something else. Uh, you just never ever knew, uh, what you were coming home to whenever you came. You just never had any idea. I mean, he might be out in the backyard crawling around with the dogs, uh, he might be in the living room floor in his underwear, passed out snoring, or he might pull a gun on you. I mean, you just never knew what you were walking into when you walked in that house, and he and I did not get along from jump. And, uh, we just, um, you know, we just didn't see out on anything, never did, and, uh, and you know the deal was, you know, I, uh, I I became more and more and more uncomfortable at home, and uh, I didn't get along well at school, and I became more and more uncomfortable at school, and uh, it just seemed like anywhere I go, I couldn't uh, couldn't seem to find any comfort, and I began to isolate more and spend more time alone, and uh, and and those sorts of things. And um, come about uh, uh, about the ages of I, you know, got up and got in my my teenage years and on my step. Worked at night, and you know it was the time whenever I was uh, I was in junior high school, and you really feel that need uh, to fit in even more uh, than you had before. And uh, you know I was I was really feeling that need, and I got looking around the school, and it seemed to me like you know the the guys and the girls, you know, who were who were who were drinking some and smoking cigarettes and and doing all those sort of things. It seemed like they were really having a good time, and I wanted to be a part of that. And I thought, well, maybe, you know, if I drink, and maybe if I smoke cigarettes and, and do those sort of things, I'll, I'll, I'll fit in a little bit better. And, and I began to do some of those things, and, and it worked. Uh, it worked for me right away. You know, I was able to fit in, and uh, Mom and my stepdad worked at night, and so I was able, you know, while they were at work, I was able to have people over. And, and, and so those things started working for me right from the very beginning. Um, and, uh, you know, drinks, I really then, at that point in time, every chance I got, and I was really drinking more because I, I, I had that need to fit in it. And I don't know, I hear people talk about their first drink. I don't really remember my first drink. We could always drink. I mean, Daddy made homebrew and, uh, and, and wine and, 
and all that kind of stuff and the bootlegs on Sundays and um you know, we could always have a little sip or something. And I but I do remember and I had been sober I guess about two years or so uh, before I really remember it. But I do remember the first time that alcohol had an effect on me and, and I didn't even remember it all. Because I always heard the people say, you know, if you don't remember the same things, you probably haven't had it and all that. And I thought, oh, what am I going to do? You know, <laughs> I was probably drinking in the crib. I'm going to get drunk for sure. But uh, anyway, uh, I do remember it was on a Sunday morning. And I don't know why I was, I don't know why I remember it was a Sunday morning, but it was. And uh, and it was just me and Dad in the house. And I don't even know why that was, but it was. It was just me and Dad. And Dad always liked to have him party on Sunday. And, uh, and I'd always get real close study on Sunday because I knew he'd give me an into that party. And, uh, but this morning, for whatever reason, he picked him one and he picked me one. And we sat at the table and I drank that party. And I remember that was the very first time in my life that I was not afraid. Uh, I was not afraid that morning. I had a sense of ease and comfort that morning. Everything was okay. Now, like I say, I did not remember that. I don't know if that's what I take for the next, you know, 20, 25 years of my life. I have no idea. But I do remember alcohol having that effect on me uh, that morning. But anyway, I'm getting back to where I was. You know, uh, and so I was, uh, you know, drinking around some and doing those sorts of things. And come the age of, uh, uh, of about 15 or 16, a couple of things happened to me. I discovered a couple of things that would have changed my life completely and forever. Somewhere between the ages of 15 and 16, I discovered IV drugs and prostitution. And I was out of there. I'd been looking for a way out of that house for a long time, just didn't know how to get out of there. And uh, I left home early. I left home at 16 and really never looked back. Um, I, uh, I hit those streets and I hit them hard. And um, just I uh, never really did go back home for any length of time. I, I, I would go back home occasionally, but it was never ever for any length of time. You know, I, I had a way of supporting myself now, and, and I had found these drugs and these alcohols, you know, and I was all that. And uh, it doesn't take very long, uh, you know, out there on the streets before you uh, you kind of begin to get seasoned, and it didn't take me very long either. And, uh, you know, I was hanging around and kind of doing my thing in Louisville, and, um, you know, I thought, well, maybe, you know, let me, uh, you know, what I need to do is I need to go to a larger city, you know, there's, uh, there's more money and things are more acceptable and, uh, so right away early on, uh, you know, I began just taking off and I did a whole lot of just taking off. Uh, but anyway, I, I began just taking off and, and first went to Chicago whenever I was 16 and I was absolutely right, you know, I got there and things were more acceptable and there were more money and, uh, but anyway, it started a trend for me of just, you know, staying a year here or six months there and, and, and then just picking up and taking off. And, and, you know, back in those days, it was really wonderful. They didn't have computers. And uh, so, you know, you, all you had to do was go open up a checking account somewhere. And then you get there before the bank closes and you close the checking account out. And then you just go write checks and get to some new clothes. So during these new passes, once you get there, you just write yourself a check and get on an airplane. And you can talk to all the whole way, and all you got to do is write a check for it, and it doesn't make any difference, because it sounds close anyway, and you're leaving town, so what difference does it make, all right? So uh, you can really get around pretty good that way. Uh, but anyway, you know, it wasn't but a couple of years into that. Uh, and like I say, you do get seasoned, and you kind of get old pretty quick, and, uh, you know, you get streetwise and, and all those sorts of things. And, you know, uh, but, but, but the plan began to change a little bit. Um, 
you know, it was going to be different. You know, next I was, uh, you know, maybe I was going to go to L.A. for a while, and, uh, you know, and I, and, but this time it's going to be different. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just so tired of all of this, and uh, I'm going to get there, and, and, and it's going to change. You know, maybe I'll find myself a little job somewhere and, uh, and go back to school. You know, uh, maybe maybe I'll do those things this time and, um, and, and live a little bit more like the normal people. And, uh, but, you know, the same man again. And, um, you know, I, I would get to the next place, and uh, nothing changes, nothing changes, and I, I would get there and nothing would change. And every once in a while, I would. Every once in a while, I would get a little job somewhere, and occasionally I would, you know, in, in, enroll in a school. You know, but it wouldn't be very long before those streets were calling. You know, by now, I've been on the streets for some time, you know, and I, 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 would, uh, I would enroll in those schools, and I really was different. You know, I really was different from those guys that were just, you know, they were coming straight from home and going into school. You know, I've been out working the streets for a couple of years and shooting dope and drinking Johnny Walker Red, you know, and, and having myself a good time. And I, I really was different. And, you know, they knew me. You know, you, you, you get known whenever you, you travel around like that and, and, and live that way. And, uh, you know, I just, if I could just get back down here, you know, just get back down on the strip for a little bit and, uh, you know, I, I feel comfortable down there. You know, people know me. They know who I am, and uh, and and so it just wouldn't be very long at all, you know, before I'd be out and doing doing the same things, you know, again that I have that I've been doing before, and uh, you know, just just drinking and carousing, and it's a you know it's a it's a difficult way to live, but it's just, uh, on the other hand, it's a really very really easy way to live too, because you're off just the money is easy to work. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> But anyway, uh, by the time I was, uh, by the time I had turned 20 years old, you know, I had gotten to the place where I had, you know, people lived their whole life out on those streets, you know, looking for what I found. And what I had found was a benefactor. And, uh, I, I found myself a benefactor and we moved off to Sausalito, you know. And my God, who wouldn't want to live in Sausalito? It was a wonderful place to be. You know, had a huge home up on the hill overlooking the ocean. And uh, I was like an animal in a cage. Absolutely like an animal in a cage there. Because, you see, there's nothing that will satisfy this hole. There's not enough of anything. There's never enough uh, to fill up the hole. You know, and I had the cars, and I had the home, and I had the clothes, and and I had all of those things, and I was absolutely like a taste animal. I was taste from one end of that house to the other, and drink, and uh, you know, and and who cared about all this? And you know, besides that, San Francisco is just across the bridge. My God, there's a party going on over there, and they need me. Yeah, they need me. Uh, and it wasn't very long, you know. Uh, now, I always did hate that old Golden Gate Bridge. It's the worst. If you got a hangover, that is the longest bridge in the world. <laughs> but they have a ferry. <laughs> and you can have cocktails while you're riding across on the ferry. So it wasn't very long before I hitched me a ride on the ferry, and I was in six, going over to San Francisco, and still did pretty well there for a while. Made Buena Vista Heights, which is still nice, and they had a view of the bay and the Alcatraz and all those things that people are supposed to have, uh, you know, I, I, and all of those things. But, you know, I always say I've never been in a mudslide, uh, but I know exactly what it must be like because, uh, you know, I was kind of just went in a straight slide once I hit San Francisco. And, uh, you know, within six months, I was living down in the Tenderloin, uh, which is not a good area of town to be in. 
and uh, you know, in a, a $25 a week uh, hotel room, and that was three dollars. I remember it was three dollars extra if you had guests. I had a lot of guests, and uh, they liked me very well uh, down there. And uh, but anyway, it didn't take very long, and uh, everybody always wants to hear the story about the coach. So I guess I'll have to tell the story about the coach. Anyway. After one night in particular, I'd made mine early, and, uh, you know, I thought, you know, I need to, uh, to get out of here for a while. You know, maybe I'll point on down to the Castro and, um, party with the normal people, you know, tonight, and, uh, you know, just get out of here for a while. And, uh, another thing that happened, you know, almost immediately whenever I, I got to San Francisco, you know, what we did there, uh, like up in the people that I hung out with, you know, everybody had at least five doctors. And, uh, you know, I got there and they started feeding me those TNRs. And I just loved those things. <laughs> but anyway, I just loved them. And what happened was while I was in taking this job, I developed a pretty serious barbiturate habit to go along with my already progressive alcoholism. And, uh, so anyway, I, uh, I got there and, um, you know, you just, uh, you know, you know, you just work the doctors during the day and you work the streets and I just always, there was this one doctor down in the Italian section of town. He started cutting people off. And, uh, all these three people would be, you know, they'd come in, they'd be Jones and he'd be cutting them off, but they started beating him up. <laughs> he had to hire a guard to come in to his office. He always liked me though. And uh, I would go in there and he'd say, those dogs out there, he'd be talking about those dogs. And I'd say, I know, doctor, it's just awful. I need two and all three grains. Uh, <laughs> and I get awful nervous during the day. I thought those Italians helped me a lot. Those little blue ones that you gave me, they helped me a whole lot last time. And, you know, it would really be okay as long as you didn't call, you know, as long as you didn't come back within 30 days, that was okay. But I, I, I just had a terrible time remembering myself. You know, I'd get eaten those two and all, she was in that Johnny Walker red. And uh, I thought, well, I don't remember where I went to last time. And, you know, so sometimes I'd, I'd wind up like a doorstep and ask them. So sometimes I'd call them, and I'd forget that I had already called them before uh, that. It really got bad. But uh, anyway, so, <laughs> so this night in particular, you know, I'm going to swing down to Castro, and I'm going to, you know, get down there and, uh, and party out there a little bit with, with the normal people. And, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to get all dolled up. And, um, you know, so I, uh, I, you know, fill me up a, a glass of Johnny Walker Red and take me a couple of them too and all and, um, you know, just getting fit, you know, just getting, you know, I'm just going to line them up tonight, you know. And, uh, I had this, uh, this, I, I'd love, I'd love to have that coat today. But anyway, I had this full-length fever coat. It was, it was all that I had left of my bottles from Sausalito. They had all since uh, everything had been given away or stolen or lost or sold somewhere along the line. But I had my beavers. And uh, I loved that beaver coat. And I got all ready and I took me a couple, you know, I always forget if I'd taken any of those chewing off things or not. So I'd take me a couple more of those chewing off and walk them down through Johnny Walker Red. I put that coat on and look in the mirror and I'm like, too far a doll tonight. I'm going to go in for it tonight. And so I begin my walk, you know. 
And uh, it was one of those wonderful nights in San Francisco when the wind was blowing just right, you know. And I'm walking down the street, you know, and the wind's just gently blowing, and it's blowing that fur, you know. And that hair is blowing just right, and everything's going just in the right direction. And I thought, man, you know, I know somebody's going to stop and want to do a photo shoot, you know. I got it going on, you know, and it was just everything was just perfect. And I'm walking on down the street, and this is going to date me a whole lot, but this was, uh, you know, it, that was, they hadn't complete, they hadn't completed BART yet. BART's the subway system in, in San Francisco, and they hadn't completed it yet. They had the tunnels dug, but they weren't open uh, at the time, and, uh, and they took those, what do you call them, horses? They took some horses up there, and they had you know, all these flashing lights and stuff, and, you know, I'm walking on down the street, you know, and I'm looking all good, and uh, I got to watching that line flash on and off, and I'm walking, and I tripped and fell, and down them steps I went. Well, you know, I got all caught up in that coat, and I tried to get up the steps and fall right back down. Well, a crowd began to form. <laughs> And before long, they started cheering, come on, you can make it. You know, and I tried to get up the steps, and I wrapped up in this coat. <laughs> so I finally get up and get out of here. <laughs> well, I don't know what you all do in a situation like that, but when I'm in a situation like that, i got to calm my nerves. <laughs> and if I'm going to calm my nerves, i got to have you or something to drink. So I pulled that coat around me and swung that hair back and walked off into the nearest bar like nothing ever happened. Got in there and had me a drink and a couple more of those spin off that couldn't have been if I'd taken any or not. <laughs> That's the coat. Tricky wanted me to tell the story about Candida in the last, so I guess I will. Uh, anyway, Candida. Uh, Candida was a wonderful friend of mine, and we both lived there in the Tenderloin together, lived in the same hotel, and worked the streets together and went to doctors together and all that. We just, uh, Candida and I were pretty cool. But, uh, anyway, uh, Candida and I, you know, our idea, uh, a lot of times, uh, of a Saturday night in San Francisco, from Candida's, uh, window, uh, it's in the room that Candida lived in, you know, you said there was, a, a another huge motel besides a hotel, uh, besides of ours that was over, and then there was a building that was much lower in between, and the building that was lower in between, built, uh, on the top of the roof, there were all lots, lots, lots of rats, and uh, these rats were always running around down there, and so, you know, our idea of a fun uh, Saturday night, uh, Candida and I, you know, we'd get us some wine, because it was, you know, we weren't going to drink that old socks and all that, and we're going to drink wine, and eat and all those kind of things. And so we'd get us some wine and some cheese, and we'd sit in that window and we'd watch those rats, and we'd throw them down a little cheese, and they'd come running over to get the cheese, and we'd pour water on them, and we'd get the, the wine bottle, we'd get empty, and we'd get one over there and swing that wine bottle at them. You know, here I'm living high in San Francisco, I tell you. <laughs> Hey, what is going on? Vicky told me I had to tell that story because that's why they asked me to come here and talk and I wanted to be asked again sometimes so I thought I'd go ahead and tell <laughs> Anyway, I, uh, uh, things got bad. They got bad really quick and like I said, I had developed terrible barbiturate habit there and, and, and just, uh, you know, was, was drinking more and more and more and things were bad, you know, shooting dope and, um, 
And I thought, boy, here we go. Anyway, so he looks over at me and he says, don't you think you're in the wrong bar? Well, now, there's something else that happens to me. Whenever I'm trying to think, and I'm trying to drink, I just see you leave me alone. I get irritable. And I swung around on that bar stool and I looked at him and I said, does that sign over there say beer? And he said, yes. And I said, well, then I guess I'm in the right bar then. And I turned back around and picked up my drink. Well, now, he didn't think that was funny. But the guys he was with did, they thought that was the funniest thing they ever heard in their life. They were just falling out on the floor. <laughs> but wasn't very long, you know, his buddies kind of called him off, and they were over there, and these guys had half time. And they were all over there at a talking to me, and they told me I had heart. I thought I had a hangover. <laughs> they said, I hear that heart. Yeah, right. And they started having me these half-pints. They said, I'm starting to drink. I, you know, I thought, well, this place might be all right after all, you know. Well, I don't know how I get myself into these messes, but for the next four years, those guys just took me everywhere. I tell you what, I guess I was like a little mascot or something. <laughs> they had me all over the place. <laughs> I mean, we were in clubhouses and swamp meets and, you know, and it's like, you know, I always kind of did like grab hold something go real fast anyway, so I thought, <laughs> Well, I'm in, and besides that, they got half pints. <laughs> they used to stash their guns on them. <laughs> now, I don't know nothing about no guns. I know that there's some kind of little button on there. It's on and off switch. <laughs> and one side of it's red, and I think the other side of it's not. And I don't, I never could figure out which way it was which. And, uh, but anyway, they'd stash those, you know, we'd go out somewhere and there'd be some trouble or something and, uh, and they would, they would stash those guns on me because they thought if the police came in that they weren't going to say anything to me. And they'd say, now you just sit over here and you drink and I, anyway, I, so I'm sitting and I've got all these guns on me. Uh, I don't know why I'm not, because I used to always ask them if they had it turned off and, uh, <laughs> And this guy told me, yeah, but it was turned off. And uh, I thought, you know, I don't believe him. I think he's lying to me. And so I'm sitting back there, and I've got this thing. Well, somebody had left a cowboy hat sitting on the table. As I pick up this cowboy hat, and I stick it on, and I whip that gun out and throw it up. And I thought, I feel just like a cowboy. And I shot that gun, boom, straight through the ceiling up there. Don't do that. Oh, they get mad. They were so mad with me. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I always like to tell that story because I really do kind of need to clarify something. Those guys really were good to me. I mean, they took me everywhere and they treated me well and there was always somebody watching out for me. Like, I don't know how that happened. It just did. But anyway, I always tell that story because I do like to clarify something. Now, if you were ever riding down the street, and you saw me out in front of a bar, and there was some big biker guy, and he had his hands all down my shirt. Now, he was not trying to fill me up. The man was just looking for his gun, that's all. (laughs) 
people always talked about having some preconceived idea about what they thought Alcoholics Anonymous was or is, and and I did know that there was a thing called Alcoholics Anonymous. I uh, I had a friend that I had for years, and um, and God love Michael, he couldn't make this program, and he uh, finally um, um, got messed up in the crap real bad, and uh, wound up committing suicide. He worked for Piedmont Airlines, you know, and Piedmont used to send them everywhere, kind of solving that they just loved him, and they were very good to him, and um, and Michael never could sober up and he died. But Michael had an aunt, and I was real close with the whole family. And uh, and Michael had this aunt, uh, Jeannie. And I don't feel like I could ever get an AA talk unless I mentioned Jeannie. Um, <laughs> Jeannie, uh, uh, I, I knew that uh, there was an alcoholic anonymous because Jeannie was in it. And, um, you know, I, I, I knew the stories about, uh, about Jeannie and how she was bad to drink and had called apartments on fire and, and all of those things, and they come to Alcoholics Anonymous and sobered up and was an alcohol and drug counselor, what ran up a little halfway house, um, uh, there in Louisville, and then that's all I really knew about it. Um, I, uh, I called Michael, I think that, uh, had just really, really gotten bad, and, and, and drinking was even worse, and I was getting sick all the time, and, uh, and I called Michael and he said, uh, well maybe, uh, you know, maybe, uh, I had Jeannie tell you, would you talk to her? And I said, yeah, I would. And, uh, and Jeannie called me. And people from Alcoholics Anonymous have always told me the truth and Jeannie did not lie to me from the very beginning. The only thing I remember about that conversation is that Jeannie told me, you know, Jerry, we're not promising you a rose garden. And Jeannie told me the truth from the very beginning. has not been a rose garden to me, there have been things along the way. But there's no place in the world that I'd rather be. And I'm so grateful to the people in Alcoholics Anonymous. They've never ever lied to me, not one time. They've always told me the truth. But anyway, that sent me, uh, that, that took me off to my first trip to treatment. And, um, and that was all okay with me right away. You know, I got in there and they had those groups and all this kind of stuff going on. There was a whole lot better than those many institutions I've been going through all those years. And, you know, I thought, well, you know, this would be okay, you know, and they, you know, sometimes go out. They took us out to a meeting, you know, at some point in time, and that was still okay. Now, I knew y'all didn't like me. I knew you didn't want me here. You know, but that was okay because I didn't like you either, and I really didn't want to be here either. So that was okay with me. It wasn't a big deal. But anyway, what that really set up was the next 14 years of being in and out of alcoholics anonymous and in and out of somebody's treatment center somewhere. Uh, you know, it seemed like after I went through treatment that time, you know, every time I, uh, I every time I took the cap off a bottle of whiskey, I wound up in somebody's detox center somewhere. You call me detox theory. Uh, you know, I, I used to, they told me this one detox center, I said, we're going to put a star up on the floor for you. But they would always, they, they throw somebody else to let me in there because I could cook. And, uh, they knew once they got me sobered up for a few days, they'd put me back in the kitchen and I put would have something decent deep. So that always let me in there. But anyway, they sent me everywhere and I went to all kinds of, uh, you know, detoxes and treatment centers and sometimes they send me off to halfway out somewhere. And I could stay sober for a little while. Um, but you know, it wouldn't be very long until I'd be out there running and drinking again. And then uh, what I really want to talk about, because I'm trying to run out of time here, is, uh, it's the last four years of my drinking. And those are the years that I call the nightmare years. Um, those were the years whenever all the things that I'd always heard people talk about from these podiums that happened to them that never happened to me. Um, you know, I, I, I became unemployable, um, you know, and uh, and I began to have those DTs. And, uh, you know, in the beginning, you know, but they weren't, they weren't always real bad. You know, sometimes it was just a little uh, music or something coming about it, coming out of the radio, you couldn't just quite the radio on the station. And, and other times they were bad. Other times they'd have to... Uh, 
<laughs> taking out to the emergency room and, and, and sitting down and, uh, and also the years whenever the seizures came and, um, and they were kind of the same way, you know, in the beginning. And then whenever those seizures first started happening, it was like, you know, I, I wonder if that's what that was. Uh, you know, it wasn't long before they were in my seizures and you knew exactly what they were. And, uh, and, and, and those were the days whenever I just didn't want anybody to see me. You know, I, uh, you know, I, I had to do it. I just didn't have a choice. You know, I would, I would, I would come in and I would lay down and I would just be cool for sweat and absolutely freezing to death and the room would fill up with rats and, uh, you know, and I remember, you know, in the next morning, you know, just as that last rat was coming across the floor, you know, I would, I would think, okay, it's safe to get up now. And the very first thing I needed was to have something to drink. And, you know, I was flying apart, absolutely shaking to death and, and, and swollen and, and scared. And do I have any money? And how am I going to drink today? And, uh, you know, I'd look in the mirror and I think, oh my God, really, look at you. You know, what have you done to yourself? What have you done to yourself this time? And I would have to do it. And didn't have a choice. You know, within those years before the end of my drinking, whenever I was in the room, the clock was it. Um, you know, I could lay down and, um, you know, I, I had been drunk. I've been drunk for so long. And God, I just didn't want to be drunk anymore. Uh, but I couldn't not drink. And, uh, you know, I, I, I would lay down and, and, and I could be okay for a couple of hours. And then I would, I would, I would come to just screaming. Everybody was screaming, you know, for a drink. I had to have something to drink. And uh, I said, I don't want to be drunk. You know, I just, I say, part of being drunk, I just want to feel better, and I think I'm just going to have a little so that I can stop shaking, and, uh, you know, by now my tolerance is gone, and, uh, and by the time I take a drink, I just want all over again, and I didn't want to be drunk, uh, I just wanted to feel better, and, uh, but there wasn't, there wasn't that in between point anymore. I'd love since that hiding from people, it just didn't make any difference uh, anymore, you know, I mean, I was a drunk, I remember the day it happened. I was sitting around drinking, and uh, it was a day just not like on any other day, and it was that moment of clarity uh, that we hear people talk about, and, uh, you know, they've been uh, eating those valium and and, um, and and drinking that whiskey, and, um, you know, it just came to me just from nowhere. You know, Gary, you have absolutely no value to anybody. You have no value to yourself. You have no value to your friends. You have no value to your family. You know, you're drunk. And after that, the mask came off, and I, I didn't have any more, and it didn't make any difference. If you saw me falling asleep or out on the street, it didn't make any difference, you know, if I was uh, walking down the street with these people knocking and so, you know, all of those things just didn't make any difference anymore. I was a drunk, and I knew it, and you knew it, and it just didn't make any difference. It doesn't have something to do with me, I've got to feel better. I hear people talk about alcohol stop working for them, and I guess in a way it happened to me, but you know, I wasn't one of those people who, uh, who, who drank and couldn't get drunk. I remember the day well, you know, I woke up sick just like I did any other day, and I tried to drink a little bit, and wound up drunk all over again, and I stumbled down to, uh, to, to, to a little bar where people got drunk, and they just like, you know, it's okay to go in there. And, uh, so anyway, I, I stumbled down my way down to that bar, and you know, I was drinking, and I was taking those Valium, and I was absolutely as sick as I was the minute I got up. I was still sweating. I was still shaking. Just absolutely just so sick I could not stand it. So in that, in that way, alcohol kept working for me, but I wasn't one of those people who couldn't get drunk. If I was drunk, I was very drunk. Um, I was just as sick as I was when I started out. The friends were leaving. I asked them to give me a, a ride over the lights and uh, I took a treatment center over and go to the and they did. And I don't even know why I asked them to go. But anyway, I got over there and they said, uh, well, you're late. You were supposed to have been here two days ago. Mm-hmm. 
And I said, you know, well, guess what? You know, I'm right. And, uh, anyway, they took the breathalyzer and they, they thought all of that. And part of me off to some mercy went to mine. I didn't know, you know, what the deal was. And I thought, well, that's okay. You know, we're getting me in here because. And, uh, anyway, uh, that time, uh, that, and, and they knew me, they knew me well there. I'd been in there and I'd see Sean on many times. Uh, they, they knew me. And, uh, so, uh, I get in there and they hit me with everything right from the beginning. And I didn't get nearly as sick physically, uh, that last time I detoxed as I had the 25 times before that. But my mind wouldn't turn off. And I remember it just kept going through my mind. You gotta change, gotta change, gotta change, gotta change. And I didn't know what to change. And I didn't know how to change. And I had just enough arrogance left that I sure as hell wasn't gonna ask you how to go about doing that. And I uh, stayed in that treatment center and that wouldn't go away and uh things happened to get out and they wanted me to go to that playhouse and couldn't get in one. And I had rented an apartment, uh and I knew that it, I knew that I had rented an apartment and I knew that it was somewhere in Old Louisville. <laughs> that was all I knew. <laughs> and uh so anyway, they let me out and some friends uh they took me over to uh to to uh old apartment over there and got me off and the journey began. And the journey began there. I remember when I left that treatment center, you know, I said, God, I said, I don't care where I, where I have to go and what I have to do. I don't care if I have to eat out of trash cans. I don't care. I will do anything. Just please, please, please come let me take a drink again. And, uh, and, and, and by God's grace, I haven't had a drink again. But I remember uh, they closed the door on that apartment and a field came through me. Such a secure I've never known before, you know. I thought, my God, Jerry, you're 35 years old, and have absolutely no idea how you're in this world. Absolutely none. And I didn't know what to do, so I went to a meeting, and every time there was a meeting open somewhere, I was at it. And I don't know if I got anything out of those meetings or not. I don't really know much about it. I just know that I could be okay. If I could go and I could sit in that meeting, that I could be okay for that amount of time, maybe I could make it better next time. And I'll tell you. About nine months or so into that, I was walking to, uh, to that apartment and getting uh, ready for a morning meeting. And, um, it was a day as once again, just not like any other day. It was uh, kind of the same way, you know, I'm walking through having my coffee, you know, looking in the books. I've got smart something to say when I get to the meeting. And, uh, I'm walking through there and the thought came to me, you know, Gary, you know, absolutely everything in your life is better. Everything. Far nothing. And the very next thought behind that was, you know what, but it's not good enough. And the thought behind that is the one that absolutely frightened me to death. And the thought that I had behind that was, you know what, Jared, and this time it is not going to fix it. It's not going to fix it this time. And I didn't know what to do. And uh, in a sod would have it, um, I had uh, been following my first concert on the time. I, I loved to hear things we had to say at the session meetings, and I was on the hearing talk, and and every time Jim, every time it was Jim, Jim every day when I was off, it always touched me somewhere. You know, I knew that he knew where I was. And, uh, so I got up all my courage, uh, because I just knew he was going to tell me that. And I called Jim and I said, Jim, you know, um, would you sponsor me? And I'll never forget, you know, Jim said, you know, Gary, I just retired this week. And, um, I was just sitting here feeling useless, uh, like I'd been put out to pasture, uh, and I didn't have a job in the world anymore. He said, isn't it wonderful um, how God was that he would call me and ask me to come to you? So I, I, I'll do whatever I can to help. And, uh, and thank you. And, um, and Jim, uh, you know, for the sake of time, you know, God left him. He led me through the stuff. He soon fed me alcoholics and all of and I'll be forever grateful to him uh, for that. Um, about nine years into that, uh, 
Jim had to go back home to make some amends of his own to live out some amends of his own. And, uh, and he left and left another one. I found a document on his cousin over since and, uh, and, and, and I think he's just wonderful. Don's one of those guys that, uh, seems to know what's wrong with me before I even know anything's wrong with him. And, uh, I, you know, Don's one of I've been following one for a month and it takes me a month to take all that in and, uh, and, Kind of get that stuff really bad. It's, uh, it's been wonderful. It really has been. And, and we're both really kind of okay with that. Oh, gosh, my life today. I tell you what, um, you know, uh, you know, like I say, you know, it's not always the road garden. Uh, I, uh, few years back, uh, I, uh, went into work one night and there was an emergency phone call for me and, uh, my stepdad had just shot and killed himself. And at uh, that particular time, my mom and my stepdad lived out in the country. It was a good drive out there, and uh, and, and and I drove out there and uh, was able to uh, to be with my mom. And uh, you know, so many of them, and we'll always have so many in that street. I have to mom away from them. You know, she loved me. She was drunk in this phone call. But anyway, uh, you know, mama was just absolutely nuts, and uh, you know, my stepdad had just shot himself, and. Um, but anyway, I was able to be there for her and to walk her through there and, and, and help her bury my stepdad. And I remember the day that I walked into that funeral home uh, for, for the viewing, you know, and that was the man that I had hated. Absolutely, I mean, I, I precisely, you know, there was a precise way to that horse and hating that guy. I hated that man. And I walked into that funeral home that day and I looked at him in that casket and you know what? I knew that it wasn't a gunshot that killed my stepdad. I knew it was alcoholism. And I couldn't hate him anymore. Um, I'd say my mother was just absolutely just went nuts and lost it. And I watched her go from being, you know, a, a, just a self-assured, you know, being able to walk on and do anything kind of woman to just, you know, really just so needy and uh, so afraid. And uh, when I there and stayed with her for a while and uh, tried to get her through some of that and, you know, had my place in Louisville and had to work and drive back and forth to work and all that and uh, had bought a little house in the meantime. And um, anyway, uh, I had never uh, been able to make the amends for my dad. I mean, I used to go there to his house and I would sit out in front of that house and I uh, just couldn't do it. And I sometimes had to drive around that block for hours at a time for hours and I knew I had to make them and uh, and I didn't know, and I called back up to talk in front of the house, and I said, I'm going to do it, and I just couldn't do it, and, uh, just like everything happens to me, you know, one day, just absolutely out of the blue, I had no intention to go into my dad's house whatsoever, and I, uh, I, I drove down to my dad's house, and I got out, and, and went in there, and was able to reestablish that relationship with him, and, um, and I'm so grateful to the people of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, you never told me, Gary, you have to do that. You know, what, what people in Alcoholics Anonymous told me was, Gary, why don't you go down? Yeah, why don't you go down and see it? You know, it's, it's a dump boy. You can always go away again. And, you know, I thought I could do that. And, uh, but anyway, I was able to reestablish that relationship with him, and, and I'm so grateful to you guys for that. You know, uh, a month later, uh, my dad died. And, uh, you know, I had always thought that I would be sitting on the outside looking in. Uh, whenever all that happened, but, uh, but it just didn't happen that way. I remember I, uh, I had been on vacation, had left the vacation, and had gotten very, very ill, and uh, he wouldn't let anybody take him to the hospital, and, uh, and I remember I didn't know any of that stuff was going on, and I got back, and I thought, well, I've made this commitment uh, that I need to go see that, so I was just really going down there because I had made that commitment to it, and I got down there, and you know, my stepmom said, 
Oh, Gary, you know, I'm just so glad you're here. He has asked me over and over and over again where you are. I've been trying to explain to him that you're on vacation, that you're out of town. And, uh, you know, I went in there and, uh, you know, I, I, I walked in there, you know, and, and Dad just turned it off. And I said, you know, Dad, you know, you said I worked in my old pickup truck, right? And I said, you know, we need to get you off to a hospital somewhere, you know. We just got up and went to a hospital. And, uh, you know, when I thought I was going to be the guy on the outside looking in. And, um, I was the last person to see my dad alive. I, uh, was on my way to work and, um, you know, I thought, well, I need to go in and see dad and I didn't have a lot of time. And, um, I went in there that night to see dad and, um, I, uh, he said, you know, I said, I just feel so tired. He said, I'm just so tired. Now, I'm sitting over there, you know, I'm really, you know, I'm kind of, you know, in a rush here anyway, and, uh, you know, I'm not enough ready to do this, and uh, then we sit here, and I've got to go to work and all that. Plus, you just get some rest, and, uh, and I'll be back to see you in the morning, and, uh, and then the dad said, well, I'll be looking for you. And, uh, one of the fears, uh, that I had never been able to get over in my whole time in alcoholics anonymous was to do it yet. And, uh, I have you know that I'm no longer afraid of death because I know nobody's going to be looking for me. And, uh, and I thank you for that. Uh, I thank you for that. Today my life is really pretty good and I'm so glad for Lee last night who uh, talked about his little Jack Russell Terrier. Uh, you know, uh, I, uh, uh, just recently, a while back, I was getting off work a little bit and tired and all this work and all that stuff going on. There was just too much going on. I needed to make some changes and, uh, because of you, um, you know, I was able to go in and resign from my position and be okay. And be okay. I didn't have to be afraid. You have money to back. And, and that's where it's only been able to keep up with my house payments and, and kind of do everything pretty normally. And, and that's only because of you. You know, I never even, I don't have to have a job. Not to be able to quit one and not worry about it. But, uh, anyway, uh, uh, just recently, you know, I, uh, I thought, uh, you know, I thought this year I'm going to be able to get out and just work in my yard like I've always wanted. You know, I've always had to go to work to do something. I'm going to get out there and just work in my yard. No, it's going to be wonderful. And I'm getting out and I've got all these yards all dug up and everything's all planted. And I want you to know, rodents started coming from everywhere. I had teens and possums and I live in the city and all that stuff. And finally I got sitting this little mice thing on my fly desk and I thought, honey, I know the rats are next and I've done had enough rats to last me my whole lifetime. So I started looking for me a doll, and uh, so anyway, I had been to the main society several times and had been looking at a dog there. I visited it a few times, and uh, but one day I said, I think I'll just go down, you know, to the dog town before I make this final decision. And uh, and I went down to the dog town, and uh, there's little Jack Russell Terrier uh, down there, and it just took him up, took him home, just took him up, took him home, and uh, I tell you what, uh, and God has just really had some more work for me to do, you know. Uh, uh, Jack Russell Terriers are really pretty hard. <laughs> I'm pretty laid back. <laughs> We've had some adjustments. <laughs> but I don't have rodents anymore. Nothing comes to my... I don't even think I got worms. Oh, God. But anyway, you know, uh, and, 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 and I've watched this little dog, and I'll tell you what, and, and like I say, we've really had to adjust the living with one another, and, uh, and he's real hyper, and I'm just not. And, and, and I've had to watch him real closely, you know, I'll tell you what, he has, uh, so called, uh, 
to be able to live with me. Uh, he really has, he has just worked so hard on that. And I've watched that little dog work, and you know, he does it just because he loves me. You know, and I'm his world. And I'm his world. And, uh, you know, I got thinking about it, and I thought, you know what, Jerry? You know, if this little dog can work that hard, buddy, you can work a little harder too. And uh, so I've begun to get up and, and get off of that whenever I really like to be sitting on the sofa. I, uh, I get up and get to leave. And, uh, and he, he can't just like walk as Jack Russell at Walker, so he's got to walk in a long time. Uh, but anyway, so, uh, so, you know, God's got me learning again. And uh, I tell you what, I, I, I've talked over, but uh, I'm just so happy to be here this morning, and, and, and I'm so uh, happy for you all. And I'm going to tell you what alcoholics know in this world. Uh, alcoholics know in this world. Come here and stay here, and, uh, and you'll find the God of your understanding. And, uh, and it'll all work for you. If it can work for a drunk like me, I know it can work for you. Thank you all so much.